I uh, I will do your job for you. Are you guys ready? <clears throat> yep. Absolutely. Okay. Here we go. Welcome aboard the Little Red Bandwagon, your twice-weekly podcast about the podcast, Too Beautiful to Live. In West Hollywood, California, I'm Mike Farnan. In New Brighton, Minnesota, we have Ann Lundholm. And in Pawtucket, we have Bobby Pape. Hi, guys. Hey, Mike. Hey, Mike. New and improved Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Upgrade. Yes, I am the backup Mike F for this podcast, so we always have a spare. <laughs> we do what we can. <laughs> so let's get down to business. Uh, Bobby, you want to do the LRB business for the week? Sure. I think the first order of business is, uh, Mike, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Glad to be back. You've been with us before? Yes, I've been on the show a few times. A few times. We're glad to have you back again. We've been mixing things up lately. As regular listeners know, this is going to be a, a Monday recap edition of the show. And uh, Ann and I are back for another week of recap. Meredith was busy. Christy was busy. Frizzell was busy. Everybody's got lives except us. And so we thought, why don't we get another voice in here? Uh, and why not make it a name everybody will recognize? So Mike F., thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. We'll do this and we can review in housekeeping. And I'll, you can get involved in all that. But uh, before we do any of that, Mike, we need to talk about not your latest appearances on Little Red Bandwagon, but... The thread of the month, <laughs> a Facebook thread that you uh, started and helped fan uh, based on conversation on our show. So thanks for all the clicks. Um, can you tell us where you stand on applets and cutlets for anyone who might not have seen it? I am strongly against those disgusting little cubes of devil food. <laughs> <laughs> I got them uh, as part of my uh, wagon, wagons full of loot way back in March, and I have eaten exactly one of them, and the remaining ones have s not changed one bit, even though they're just sitting there in the corner, lonely and Are alone. they still in your house? <laughs> they are. I, I would throw them out, but I'm pretty sure that's an EPA violation, so I didn't want to put them in the trash. You know, I think they need to be, like, stuck in some... Uh, specialized cement container and buried in a salt mine somewhere is the only <laughs> suitable way to dispose of them. So, uh, You know, a couple times a year, uh, the recycling and garbage people around here do a day when you can come drop off like old paint cans and aerosols and um, chemical wastey stuff from around the house that you can't usually throw out in the garbage. You might want to look into that. I, California is pretty hippy-dippy. I figure they would have that kind of thing covered. Yes, I, I think think that uh, would be a, a possibility, but I, I have the feeling if I showed up with that box, people would be deeply puzzled and possibly upset. So <laughs> I'm not quite sure how to get rid of them. <laughs> well, uh, thank you for getting that going. <laughs> Maybe we'll rekindle it again, once again, now that we've mentioned it. And also, thank you, by the way, for doing the intro today. Um, Anne and I just decided that we didn't feel like doing it anymore. Uh, and that we would take a break. And uh, you kindly stepped up when we asked you with no forewarning to do it. So, <laughs> And it only took me three takes to get it right. So, <laughs> uh, If people knew 
the fact that on multiple occasions I have asked everyone to stop down and re-record it after we're done with the show. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't like the way we did it at the beginning of the show, and then I just tack it back on the front. You're fine. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> uh, this is the magic that you can have when you actually edit, unlike TBTL. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? <laughs> Although it was quite the top story sounder. Um, and before we keep going, <laughs> could you tell us a little bit about Friday's clip show in case anyone missed it? Oh, yeah. We did a clip show, didn't we? Uh, time is just um, flowing so quickly for me. So Christy and I decided to revisit an old topic with some new material. We did a clip show on uh, more TBTL terminology, some of the fun phrases that um, we have used for a long time, whose origins were uh, buried in the layers of TBTL sediment. And so we dug some of those back up and talked about them. Uh, including uh, Tired and Emotional, which I really wish they would still use on the show. Uh, We talked about uh, Just a Minute, Ron, which I believe you had some additional info, Bobby, on the movie Captain Ron that we talked about. (laughs) Correct? I do. Thank you for bringing this up, Anne, because I'm so proud of the fact that in the early 90s, when Captain Ron was one of the VHS cassettes in... uh, the collection of my of the parents of my neighborhood friend Mark Padgham. Uh, Captain Ron was a go-to late-night sleepover film because there's just a quick bit of over-the-head nipple shot in that famous shower scene in Captain Ron. And I say, oh, the famous shower scene! I, I right. say the famous shower scene because it's the only scene I can remember. <laughs> And after it came up on Friday's show, I went and Googled Captain Ron shower scene, and you can find it online, uh, just that scene, pretty easily. And it is a scene where, if you have not seen the film, they're on the ship, the couple, they're in a stand-up shower stall, uh, they're kind of goofingly fooling around, nothing too aggressive, but they're naked, and they're in the shower, and a uh, mop falls in just the right way to trap them in the shower stall and a washcloth falls in just the right way to fill it with water. Uh, and it gets up about halfway up their bodies. Uh, but as part of that, there's an overhead shot where you can definitely see some incidental nipple. And for, uh, uh, eight or nine year old Bobby and Mark, (laughs) that was, uh, that was a highlight. So if we couldn't find the flash dance, uh, VHS, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the next choice was the Captain Ron VHS. Um, we were too young to know what the hell we were looking at, but we knew we liked it. Such was the start of something very special and private. I actually have a Captain Ron story as well, if you want to hear it. What? Who knew <laughs> people had such a connection to Captain Ron? I didn't know you knew Mark Padgham. I didn't know Mark Padgham, <laughs> but I did know the actual person Captain Ron is based on. What? So the I don't know the uh, name of the screenwriter for the movie Captain Ron, but I do know that he went to USC. And while I was at USC, I took a sailing class, and the cl- sailing class was taught by Captain Ron Remsburg, who was a very weird guy because he took sailing very seriously and always wore his sailor's captain cap and outfit. And I was told that 
Captain Ron was the movie was inspired by Captain Ron, the sailing instructor. So I've taken a sailing class with the actual Captain Ron. Uh, you're a guest on this show. It's not really polite to come in and upstage the host <laughs> on his Captain Ron story. <laughs> you think that's a better story than your uh, adolescent VHS story? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> and now that clip show just totally became worth it, even if it hadn't been any fun for the rest of it, which it was. <laughs> And, of course, Christy and I just spent the entire time acting like dorks. So if you're a fan of that, please check out the <laughs> clip show. Uh, yeah, I feel like that should do it. Uh, it. There's much more than that to the clip show, too. And I did want to talk to you about the title of the clip show, though. Mm -hmm. um, because what is it? We're, uh, I, first of all, you should have just called it Back to School because I feel like there was a lot of uh, benefit there. But it was TBTL Terminology 102. And, mm -hmm. and the original one, I believe, was TBTL Terminology 101, right? Correct. But it's been a year. So wouldn't this be oh. TBL Terminology 201? Bobby, you haven't done the interim classes, though. <laughs> I, I don't just pass you straight up. You think you're a rising sophomore? Nuh-uh. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, after we're done taping, I'll get back to working on my final paper. <laughs> maybe someday i'll get through these prerequisites um so yes please listen to friday's show it's i mean that's just some of the fun that you guys had and of course um christy is always a delight especially when it comes to the early days stuff because that's when she really outshines everyone yep um i put on um other general updates although i think my captain ron story pretty much covered it for me so thank you there <laughs> And how's the throw your phone inbox looking? Uh, it's looking full as usual. <laughs> I have one that I want to talk about right now from David, who says, this is from some time banditing I'm doing at about the nine minute and 30 second mark on episode 588. This is some serious time banditing, by the way, David. Uh, Luke mentions that his friends Andrew and Genevieve are coming over. This is, as far as I can tell, the first reference of the longest-running co-host. Why did this phone get thrown? Because they brought a French triple cream cheese dish. It all may be a lie. Who knows anything anymore? <laughs> Why would they bring cheese? Well... Uh, Genevieve. I mean, that's the easy answer. <laughs> exactly. The grown-up brings the grown-up dish. <laughs> <laughs> so I did go back and listen to that spot. It took me a little bit to find the clip, but yes, indeed, it was there. And it's just like a couple of uh, seconds, like an aside, where Luke says that Andrew and Genevieve are coming over and he, he does mention specifically the French triple cream cheese dish because he dropped it all over his shirt. And now he's worrying about the stains. Sam and I went to get ice cream on our way back from the um, uh, craft beer and food truck festival at the Pawsock Stadium this evening. And I managed to make it through all the sample beers and some barbecue without getting anything on my shirt. We walked down to the ice cream stand. I got a chocolate peanut butter ice cream cone. I was proud of myself for not getting any on myself despite the fact that it was melting. And even though I had just a little bit left in the comb when we walked into the house, 
I slipped and turned the cone 90 degrees and smashed it right into my torso. <laughs> oh, no. Like, like just... Uh, just, just like I was, as if I was trying to stab myself in the kidney with my <laughs> ice cream cone, just straight into me. And I just immediately just looked at Sam and put the ice cream cone down and walked into the kitchen and took my shirt off and ran it under the cold water. <laughs> Are you telling me that you wasted chocolate peanut butter ice cream? No, no, no. So I see the thing is I had sort of matted it down flat to the top of the cone. And so it. It pressed against the shirt. I'm glad that's your first concern, not my wardrobe. Um, and it was a button-down, short-sleeved shirt because I'm a fashionable, fashionable man. Uh, and I just took it off and no ice cream was – I mean, there was sort of like a smudge of ice cream, but not enough to eat, like to scoop off it. I went back to the cone after. I finished the ice cream cone. All right, good. I'm glad to hear that. Sorry, just just the thought of getting many cheese dip on me made me think of that, so – uh, yeah, that's it. I'm also messy. That's my point. All right. Well, that is what we have for Throw Your Phones right now. Uh, and boy, there's some good ones coming up later in the show. <laughs> yes, there are. Well, I'll get to start with our weekend review, starting with Monday 2465, Transformers 5, Adrenaline Road. Actually, <laughs> that was a good title. It's a good title. Yes. <laughs> it's actually, um, overall, I think this was a strong episode until the no point conversion, uh, but let's take it one step at a time. The beginning of the episode starts with Luke and Andrew remembering the time that they tricked Jeff Garland to show up at Luke's house up all those stairs to be on TBTL, something he thought probably was a radio show in a studio, thanks to Andrew's booking. There was a lot of consternation that came before this part of the conversation about uh, who was good at being on the radio and who was good at being a producer and Andrew feeling like he's better on the radio now than he used to be, but... Uh, I think the real first nugget of greatness that came out of this was just remembering that Jeff Garland showed up at Luke's house, not knowing what the hell was going on. Mm-hmm. I, I did like it when Andrews uh, said he's good at the, on the radio because he's good at using a lot of words when just a few would do. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially on commercial radio when he's really just pushing to sweep the quarter hour and <laughs> stretch out a story as long as possible. Uh, Luke assures Andrew he is indeed good on the radio. Luke believes that. Uh, and Andrew says he does feel more confident lately, but he's not sure how long it would last if he had to go back to hosting three hours a night on Cairo or something. Um, speaking of sub-hosts on Cairo, they did say that if a host named Short happened to sub in with Curly, they could call the show Short and Curly, <laughs> which was a childish joke. <laughs> and... But Not even the only one today where this is going to come off. <laughs> uh, Luke is lamenting getting busy again. He's looking ahead to his schedule for the next few weeks or a couple of months, and he realizes he's hardly going to be home again. And the guys get real about their job and living situations. Andrew actually literally says, quote, let's get real. Um <laughs> Uh, a side note is mentioned here that uh, David Burbank is going to be moving in with Luke and Carrie, which makes me wonder if he'll pop in on the show more, which is exciting. Oh, that would be great. He's going to be right there. Why wouldn't he mosey on into a no point conversion? Huh? Right. Huh? That might provide some actual knowledge, which could be dangerous for the segment. Well, but it proved so good for a song of ice and spoilers. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> they were onto something there. Uh, 
Uh, so here's Andrew and Luke, and here are the differences. Um, Andrew getting to go full-time on TBTL is something he considers his dream achieved. Uh, Luke, excited, still feels the need to stack gigs like Cordwood. I think those were his actual words. Uh, because he never knows when a gig is going to run out. Um, in my long notes, I think I have the quote. Andrew says his fear is someone at APM saying, quote, wait, we're paying these guys to make a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Not going to lie. That's my fear as well. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> uh, this is why I take issue with when when sometimes people have said, they all they need is a producer. They really need a producer. And I was like, no, there are two of them pulling down full-time salaries. One of them needs to be the producer. <laughs> uh, Luke, speaking of producers, thinks that he would make an excellent radio producer. He thinks he could do it and do it well. Andrew's literal response started with, quote, I'm not calling you a liar. <laughs> uh, Andrew obviously thinking that Luke's show-off demon could never keep from the microphone. If he started as a producer, he would start popping in and then subbing. And then before you know it, he would be running whatever whatever uh, prime time slot he had managed to weasel his way into. Right. And as a producer, you can't really half-ass it, can you? <laughs> and that is something that is sort of a hallmark of Luke is rushing in five minutes before the shift starts or, you know, 17 minutes into the pledge drive and just jumping on the mic and using your natural charm to go with it. But I don't know that if he was working as a full time producer, that that, that would necessarily get the job done for him. Right. Uh, and I totally get Luke's mentality. You know, I, I have a full time day job that is f dangerously flexible enough that I can also take some freelance work. And I host trivia at night and we do this little thing, which doesn't pay, but, you know, I find fulfilling and I like to do it. And so it makes me happy. And so I make time to do it. Uh, and then I always pick up whatever other scraps I can find, you know, the occasional wedding DJ gig or whatever, uh, because I always feel like part of me says, I don't know when these things are going to dry up. And so I want to just keep lines in the water for something else I could do. You know, God help me if I lose my day job. But I know I could probably host trivia five nights a week until something better came along that I could do more sustainably. I'd hate it, but like, I know I won't be without work. Um, I was thinking, and this might apply to you too, but I was thinking with Luke that a lot of that might be growing up um, pretty, pretty poor in that big family and always being on the edge of not real poverty, but you know, white person poverty. And uh, and I don't know. Do you think that that maybe affected you, too? Because you guys didn't have a lot of resources when you were growing up. Absolutely. So the son of a single mother, the only child. Um, I had my first jobs when I was, you know, seven, eight years old, doing little side gigs, hustles that I could find, um, filling the Coke machine at the auto shop when I was eight, um, hustling coupons. I think I talked about that on the show fairly recently when mm -hmm. I was even younger. Um, I've always been sort of on the lookout for what I could do and also just enjoy working, which I think drives Sam crazy sometimes because my downtime is me wanting to do the podcast or me wanting to go host trivia or something like that, where with trivia, I think, well, I can go out three nights a week and pay to be out, or I can go out three nights a week and get paid to be out, and I still really enjoy it. So why wouldn't I go out and get paid uh, to do it? And yeah, there's a certain amount of... Um, you know, if I sat down and did the math, I'm sure we could afford for us to live without me hosting trivia. But I don't know what I would do with myself 
all those nights a week other than probably more podcasts. Nobody needs that. I, As a white guy, I've already got more than enough podcasts. I'm doing my part. Our top story, 47 minutes into the episode, Jim Carrey went to Fashion Week and was a dick. And sounded like the mummy. Yep. Sounded like the mummy. <laughs> Sure did. And I thought Andrew pegged it perfectly. He said, there's nothing like a dummy who thinks he's smart. And uh, from listening to that clip, I would say that characterized Jim Carrey pretty well. Yes. Uh, Mike, you did a little follow-up research on this. Well, no, I just happened to see that uh, Jim Carrey had done a subsequent interview to try and explain what the hell he was talking about during the initial interview. And it was just more of the same pseudo-intellectual garble, and so didn't really help himself out a lot trying to explain his previous uh, philosophical statements, I guess you could call them. His (laughs) previous clusters of tetrahedons. Right. Uh, Here are the real takeaways from this. Uh, Andrew has never seen Ace Ventura Pet Detective, but did see the cable guy probably because of Janine Garofalo. <laughs> Who's in like one Fair scene enough. of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, we get an email. I, I'm just going to leave it there for Jim Carrey talk. Uh, we get an email. Uh, but before we talk about it, uh, we get more Subaru commercial talk. <laughs> <laughs> just to make Ann cry. <laughs> Uh, email tells us the best time to shop at Trader Joe's is at 2 p.m. or on Black Friday. Because sure, absolutely. It's time and a day when nobody cares about groceries. <laughs> uh, then we go to No Point Conversion for Monday. It was a long No Point Conversion, and I know that you would love to spend the entire rest of the episode talking about it. <laughs> I, I'm going to confess, Bobby, you know how Meredith normally, when we get to the no point conversion she just turns the show off and she's done i always listen to it because you never know what nugget that needs to be discussed will come up but i did not make it through this one Uh, finally i was like that's it i'm done i can't i can't do this and i just turned it off for the first time ever (laughs) well i don't blame you for turning this one off mike did you get through it i did but uh yeah there's not a lot that I have to add to that since I don't care about football. So, But hey, Andrew's feeling uh, really good about how the Browns are going to do this That's year right. for a change. That's right. He is. <laughs> and that they're going to get some Didn't wins. he say that last year? I would say both of them are surprisingly optimistic, which is strange for them. They're either overly optimistic or overly furious with the way their teams are playing. Kind of seem to be their two default uh, moods for the no-point conversion. Well, Andrew always thinks that the Browns really, for the first time, are going to be a little bit better, and Luke always thinks that the Mariners are going to win the World Series. So (laughs) we're just starting from their usual perspectives. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, despite... um, Nobody's surprised that the Browns lost, but despite the Seahawks losing... Luke hasn't completely given up on them one week in the season yet, which he could, <laughs> you know, he's been known to do that. So that's true. Uh, whereas Andrew's buying in on optimism, on optimism for the Browns low. He knows he's buying low. Uh, he's hoping to be there. I'll run through the highlights here. Luke doesn't like it when sportscasters say an athlete is quote out with an elbow. 
he would rather the name of the injury be given for what that's worth. Rather than the body part. Uh, He also doesn't understand what a high ankle sprain is. Um, (laughs) We'll just, you know, we don't need to get into the definitions of this stuff. Um, But despite saying he's not worried about the Seahawks and he's happy with their performance, he did bitch about uh, Aaron Rodgers and complained about what he sees as Aaron Rodgers' skill for catching opposing defenses in a scheme with 12 men on the field. Um, And I don't know how familiar you are here, Mike. I don't know how familiar you are here. But essentially, if you realize that the defense has an extra man on the field that they shouldn't have, say, while they're changing personnel out, you can start the play. And if you start the play while they have 12 men on the field, it's a penalty against them. So uh, Luke sees this as Aaron Rodgers' superpower. It's being able to catch when this is happening (laughs) and to do that and get extra yardage out of those penalties even if, in the Aaron Luke's words, even if the 12th man that's trying to get off the field for the Seahawks defense is one RCH from off the field, which is a term I wish he would never use again. Mm, let's just file that one under raw dog. <laughs> do not use ever category. Exactly. Um and Luke is convinced that uh, he makes an argument about billiards that doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, but essentially what he says is he doesn't think it's sporting that Aaron Rodgers is gaining an advantage based on this, what he sees as sort of a loophole bullshit uh, technicality, to which I would say that's how the game's played. You take yards anyway, you can get them. People make these arguments mm-hmm. a lot about baseball, how like – you shouldn't do that because it's an unwritten rule in baseball. And I've always said, you know, fuck the people with the unwritten rules in baseball. You do whatever you do. It's like bunting early in a game. Uh, if it works, it works. You know, quit bitching. <laughs> uh, don't be so sloppy on your defense if that's going to be a problem. Uh, he thinks that Eddie Lacy, the running back, looks like wet newspaper. Again, his words. The offensive line for the Seahawks still blows. And then Luke decides he's going to design a play for Jimmy Graham, which is something I need to mention because we get a lot of feedback for this. He's convinced that the Seahawks tight end Jimmy Graham is so much taller than anyone he plays against that they should set up a play where all the players go in one direction except Jimmy Graham who goes in the other. And then uh, Wilson should just throw the ball way too high for anyone else to catch, and Jimmy Graham will catch it and score every time. <laughs> Foolproof. Yeah. Because if that would work, they would have, you know, definitely not thought of that until Coach Luke came along. This is the same player who Luke seems to think is not in the game emotionally enough. Jimmy Graham just doesn't look like he's trying hard enough. So take that for what you will. There was a little bit of fantasy football talk in the league, that the We Are Tens League, which some of us are in. Um, I only mentioned it because Luke got his ass kicked by Mike Fursell last week. <laughs> Uh, and he has a little rant about how the auto-drafting works because he feels like if the computer's drafting for you, the computer should be smarter than anyone else drafting and know exactly what you need and when to draft them and how. I believe it was actually Frizzell who wrote that um, auto-draft is to fantasy football what pull tabs are to gambling. <laughs> 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 then there's some talk about a controversial and um, pretty terrible pass interference call that the Seahawks suffered uh, and now there's wonder if that's even for a play that went to the Seahawks against Green Bay a few years ago. And we won't bother breaking that down more. Football fans listening, you already know it. I already know it. We don't need to get into it. We can spare everyone else. Uh, Luke compares the Seattle defense to the 80s Bears. Um, 
which uh, I think is not quite accurate because in their height, they went undefeated an entire season and the Seahawks have already lost a game. So not really. Uh, and with that, uh, I'll stop there. All right, let's go to Tuesday, number 2466, Dip and Don'ts. <laughs> we get one of my favorite TVTL moments of the recent past with a cold open voicemail of somebody singing Jalapeno to the <laughs> tune of Hallelujah, which was better than anything Luke or Andrew has done in a long time. It's pretty they, amazing. They wrote some really genius lyrics. Like that, that song was incredible, and it made me think we need – TBTL the musical, you know, this uh, anonymous listener could contribute a few songs and we could have uh, Andrew do some doo-wop perhaps, you know, and uh, and you you're going to have Andrew go really high and really low. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and I thought you could, you know, sing an aria or something like that. It's going to come after Luke's I Want song, which will have something to do with a coat hook. <laughs> <laughs> Just this plaintive uh, solo looking off into the <laughs> space as he, as he's want to do. <laughs> yeah, middle distance out of his dream window over the pool. Yeah. <laughs> well, that sounds great. Let's let's get to work on that. If only we knew a sound engineer who could build this for us. <laughs> hmm, I don't know. <laughs> I I think we could work something out. <laughs> So they start the show with this just fascinating discussion of, of business terms and uh, COB versus OOB. Sentence has never been he... said beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> Luke thinks it is, uh, in his words, immaterial whether you send something by close of business or open of business because nobody works between 5 p.m. and 8 a.m., one is just as good as the other. So we got the first of a number of great throw your phone moments from Mafio. Luke's suggestion that COB actually means 8 a.m. the next morning is so frustrating. Luke is an intelligent person. How can he not understand that other people might be working on a different schedule than him? Perhaps someone's staying late or gets in early in the morning. Why can't you just honor a person's request? And I think she cuts right to the heart of that matter why can't he just provide something to somebody when they ask it rather than when he feels like it he does say just tell people exactly when you need it by and i think anybody who's ever worked in an office knows that doesn't work you dork <laughs> yeah uh mike you work in a world that's probably all deadlines um and I also imagine if you're waiting for something from someone to do your job, you're probably literally waiting for someone to send you something so you can do your job. Yeah. Since I do post-production sound, which is, you know, the sound mixing, it's basically the f final last step before a project is finished. And, of course, the deadlines in the film and TV industry are absolute, you know, if a show airs at Tuesday at 8 p.m., the show airs at Tuesday at 8 p.m., and there's no possibility of an extension. But, of course, everybody else prior to me will go over schedule, but that final deadline never changes. So I'm always doing stuff at the absolute last moment. And while I don't have to deal with the, a lot of that corporate speak, fortunately, the worst is waiting for some executive to sign off at something at the 
absolute last moment and you're just sitting there waiting saying uh i have work to do now can somebody please approve this project but uh it that it seems like a lot of uh television executives have the same sort of loose uh, relationship with time that uh, luke does <laughs> if i worked with luke and I needed something by close of business on Friday. I'd tell him I needed it by Wednesday for sure. Because <laughs> I think that's the only way to do it is give him a false deadline so that when he gets it to me two days late, then that'll be when I need it. He does say that he is going to write a new business self-help book that's going to be called The Four-Minute Work Week, which sounds <laughs> about right. <laughs> Andrew hates the term ASAP because he thinks it's too aggressive, that it just sounds confrontational or curt when you use it. He just wants people to actually write out as soon as possible. Uh, I don't disagree with that. It is kind of a a curt thing, but he, he takes everything so personally that uh, I can see how he would feel that way. Uh, and there is some confused layering of ASAP Rocky jokes in here that I didn't bother to write down because it just got too weird. Uh, Luke wants to talk about the difference between put a pin in it versus put it in the parking lot. Uh, I've been suffering from that a lot at my job lately, this stupid put it in the parking lot, plus the term pain point. Oh, that's a pain point. Let's put it in the parking lot so we can circle <laughs> back to it. Blah. And the other one that uh, our consultants for this project are using is breadcrumbs. Let's make sure that we, we take some breadcrumbs. And I'm like, is this, this is a Hansel and Gretel reference, right? About the breadcrumbs to lay the trail so we can find our way back. But if you've read Hansel and Gretel, you know that the birds <laughs> and the animals fucking eat the breadcrumbs. So why are you using this term? <laughs> <laughs> One of these days, I'm just going to bust it out in a meeting and all these consultants are going to look at me like, what? <laughs> but it makes me crazy. So that was an entertaining topic. Um, Luke could not find his car in the parking lot at the UW the other day. Uh, he says that he came across uh, a bunch of people learning a Bollywood dance routine in the garage, which is great. And he tells us this new life hack that he came up with where uh, at the airport, you take a picture of your car in the parking lot so you don't forget where it is. I mean, guys, that's pretty revolutionary, <laughs> don't you think? Yeah, that's why when I heard this, I stopped, I paused the podcast, and I sent you several of the pictures from my iPhone of every time I've done that in the last six months. <laughs> Is like, oh my god, I just thought of this new thing. <laughs> really, Luke? Really? All right. Uh, and then they talk about expense account software for a Yay. while. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so getting into something a little bit more interesting, uh, this was the first time in 20 years that he's been back on the campus of UW, which is really interesting to me, considering that he lived in town for so much of that time. And uh, he was visiting all his old spots, like the communications building, like, what do they say, Red Square, which sounds very communist to me. Um, 
and he made sure that he he pooped in the third floor bathroom of the communications <laughs> building just for old times and because it's a good place to poop apparently and he talks about how he really didn't feel like he was very imprinted by his time there he doesn't have a whole lot of uh, nostalgia generally but he was really surprisingly overwhelmed with nostalgia by this visit it's it was really all the same and it brought back a lot of old feelings and it caused him to reflect on the last 20 years and look at the 20-year-old Luke Burbank versus the 40-year-old Luke Burbank and how he actually feels pretty lucky given what his life was was like back then. I would say that's probably a, a surprisingly mature feeling for him to have. Uh, Andrew is a nostalgia junkie. I think we all know that, and that's going to be amply demonstrated later in the week. Uh, but he loves that fall feeling. Uh, he gets sort of sweaty, he says, sweaty and nostalgic about going back to school, even though he was definitely not the big man on campus. He he gets hit hard by nostalgia for Kent State, and he says it has a very maudlin quality to it. Oh, and Luke said this is the first time he ever parked legally <laughs> on the campus. <laughs> so I guess that's the biggest indicator to how his life has changed. Top story is Sergio Dips sideline reporting on Monday Night Football. Ooh, we had another throw your phone on that from Angela. Stop calling that dip guy a kid. He's 29 GD years old. He's a grown man. That's a really good point because they did talk about him like he was just some green out of school reporter, but he did have a very earnest quality in his follow up video. So I can kind of see how they started with that. Um, so this performance was was awkward. I assume that we don't need to go over the specifics. And he did make this response video where he talked about being a minority and wanting to celebrate these two head coaches who are also minorities and something about how people thought he was disrespecting 9-11. I admit I lost the thread on that a little bit. It was bit. a very odd response. It really was. I, I mean, I think he was just very emotional about it all. And Luke and Andrew didn't think it was that bad, which I agreed with. And Andrew said that he didn't really understand the response because it's just a little bit of ribbing. But, you know, it was his criticism was mostly in good humor. And I was like, really? <laughs> Did you go to Twitter? I mean, I'm sure this guy got crucified by the trolls on the Internet. So whatever Andrew saw may have been a little ribbing, but I'm sure that there was some pretty nasty, you know, go back to Mexico kind of commentary from people. And they say that everybody wants to find the next boom goes the dynamite. And I have to say, okay, <laughs> really? I mean, it was great, but I think that stands alone. I don't think we need it anymore. Yeah. Um, but, we, I mean, I'm always happy to rehear that audio. <laughs> it's great. I think uh, Sergio Dip just got caught up in a combination of people wanting something that wasn't politics to talk about for a day. And uh, his response just being awkward because English is clearly not his most fluent language. Mm -hmm. And and that's it. I think, you know, if it had been a little more polished, this wouldn't be nearly 
you know, what it is. But he came out ahead. I mean, he got a crap load of Twitter followers. He got a ton of people who liked him. He got a ton more people talking about him. And when's the last time mm-hmm. we had a conversation about a sideline report? I mean, no offense to the usually women who end up doing the sideline reporting. Um, but um, it's it's not a bastion of great journalism. <laughs> <laughs> the number one question those reporters get to ask is, how does that make you feel? <laughs> to someone who's got a hundred other things going through his head at that particular moment. Uh, and if they're lucky, you know, uh, they'll get to throw to a graphic of some sort of injury that just happened. So, you know, whatever. A little bit of flavor on Monday Night Football. I didn't see the game. I only saw the clips after. So, yeah. It was fine. And I thought that Luke and Andrew did a really good job of kind of demonstrating uh, how what he said was really pretty pretty standard once you took out his slightly awkward word choices and kind of translated it into NFL <laughs> yeah it just it was it was normal it was it was fine I hope he has a long career uh, as a sideline reporter or something uh, who knows his taking a screenshot of googling how to deal with fame <laughs> was pretty great <laughs> That's very charming. Very aware, too. I mean, he sees the moment with that quite nicely. Before we move on, I just want to mention uh, there was a little shit talk of former Bills head coach Rex Ryan, who was doing some commentary. Um, I agree. He's terrible at commentary. He's also a terrible head coach. But Luke said that explains why the Bills haven't been to the playoffs for a long time under your coaching, um, directed at Rex Ryan. He was only the head coach of the Bills for a couple of years. The Bills have been worse, really terrible Way longer than Rex Ryan was the head coach. It's not – we don't need Rex Ryan to make my football team terrible. Thank you. That's all. They can do that all exactly. on their own. They've been doing that for my, almost my entire life. Uh, in uh, voicemails today, my favorite topic reemerges. Uh, Rachel on pooping on dates tells what actually turns out to me a really charming story about her first date with this guy, Mike, who went to use her kind of janky spare bathroom and eventually needed some extra toilet paper. And then he needed the plunger. And then he accidentally locked himself in the bathroom when the handle fell off. (laughs) And she was very unsure as to how she would handle this. Uh, Luke makes the comment that, that you don't ask a man if he's okay in the bathroom until at least the 30 minute (laughs) mark. Uh, which seems crazy to me. I mean, I've got things to do. I'm not spending half an hour in the bathroom. I mean, unless I'm locked in, which has happened to me. Uh, then four months later, Mike ended up proposing, and they've been married for over eight years. So they they got the poop out of the way, and it's all been wonderful since then. So that was a great story. And Luke and Andrew feel that they really need to hear Mike's version of these events so they can have a Rashomon <laughs> style retelling of it. I would be interested to hear his his experience that with that as well. That would be a great, great story to hear. And yes, I did get locked in the bathroom once because uh, something internal broke. And then when you turn the knob, the tongue wouldn't pull back. But luckily, my roommate was home at the time, so I pounded on the door, and I had her slip a knife under the underneath the door, and I used it just to pry back the tongue from the inside. And then we got it fixed, but I kept that knife in the bathroom for, like, the next four years, just <laughs> in case. 
Well, it'll be fun to tease people about why Anne kept a knife in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I have lots of uses for it in there. <laughs> but that should uh, get us through Tuesday. Okay, Wednesday, episode number 2467, Blackbeard the Turnip Slayer. And I just have to say before starting the recap, this episode, I feel like, exhibits lots of Luke's classic behavior. And I mean that as a compliment. It's why we love him so much, because there's uh, seeking obscure clothing in this episode, a bizarre history <laughs> lesson that makes no sense, and uh, misdescribing technology. And also with the uh, admission at the beginning of the show that Luke is committed to meditating for an hour a day, but just instead is checking Twitter that whole time. Uh, <laughs> you can't start with an hour of meditating. You have to start with five minutes and work your way up, especially for someone like Luke. You can't an yeah. hour. <laughs> Dang, that's way I, too I've much. I've meditated on occasion and. 10 minutes is a long time to meditate. So the fact that he's mm -hmm. jumping in at the hour mark, that's uh, extremely ambitious. And we've seen uh, how much success he's had with it. So, <laughs> um, But the episode starts with Andrew uh, playing I've Had the Time of My Life from uh, Dirty Dancing uh, from his phone, which leads to talk about Dirty Dancing and Luke saying that he's obsessed with finding uh, a cap that Wayne Knight's character is playing or is wearing in Dirty Dancing. It's a red hat with the name Kellerman's on it, and he's obsessed with it, uh, but he can't find it because it's incredibly obscure. So that's some very classic Luke behavior there. And... Uh, it's just so interesting that he chooses Wayne Knight of all people to want to try and steal his look. Yeah, and yeah. his description of the hat doesn't make it sound at all interesting or something you'd want to wear anyways. So it's uh, it's an odd choice, to say the least. <laughs> and um, Andrew describes himself having a, a very uh, monkey reaction to a scene in Monk where... Uh, Monk discovers people who are making wine with their feet, which Monk finds repulsive, and so does Andrew. Um, and this causes Luke to play the classic viral video of the newswoman who's making wine with her feet and then falls over and makes some truly horrific noises in pain. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I remember it from the video, it's actually l much less worse when you see it, as opposed to the horrific noises we heard on the show, because in the real video, she just kind of pitches over and it doesn't really look like she could possibly be that hurt. So that's kind of, I think, where the joke lay with that. But just hearing it, it it's uh, definitely upsetting. Uh, and this causes uh, Andrew to uh, relay his own recent story of when he fell and hurt himself uh running towards the bus and uh <laughs> and did you have a, a something you wanted to add about that oh yes andrew said oh this is what it's like falling down on at 40 as he's lying on the ground kind of assessing 
the damage and taking a mental inventory. And uh, and I had that same experience a few months ago. We never actually ended up talking about it on the show, but I took a huge fall, not running for the bus, but walking outside on flat <laughs> sidewalk. I just went ass over tea kettle, actually landed on my back, looking up at the sky, still pointed in the direction that I was walking. And I remember looking up and then leaning my head back on the sidewalk and thinking, okay, well, that happened. And it was, <laughs> oh my God, it was so humiliating. And the best part of this was it was outside my gym. I was leaving the gym and it was early on a Saturday morning. So there weren't other people around except one lady who was walking into the gym, passed within 15 feet of me and pretended she hadn't seen anything. <laughs> Which was so funny to me. <laughs> she was sparing you your dignity, Anne. I actually, that's a very Minnesotan thing to do. I think that's what she was doing. But I was quite badly hurt from that, and I'm still having problems with the ankle to this day. It's not, it's not quite back to normal. So, would you call it a uh, high ankle sprain, or should I say, I would call it? An if, are you out with an ankle? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I was out with an ankle for quite a while um but what they were saying about how your body just doesn't bounce back the same way is so true you know when you're young and you're like i'm never gonna get old and you make fun of old people and then all of a sudden you're like shit why does it hurt so much i do want to note that this was a great transition out of this and into a wink ad <laughs> <laughs> And after the wink ad, we get uh, donors of the day, during which time there's a, a big, long uh, tangent fest. Luke announces that. What? A tangent in the donors of the day? That never happens, but it did today. <laughs> <laughs> because one of the uh, donors is from Silverdale, where uh, Luke's parents live. So he mentioned that his parents have uh, taken down uh, his trampoline, uh, which leads him to mention that Luke's mom likes buying a uh, cheap self-help books but probably doesn't actually read them and andrew said he does the same thing with vinyl for his record player and then they talk a little bit about luke's uh, rumpus room which uh, has a record player and a ping pong table and so they talk about how awesome it is to play ping pong there and then they go on to theorize as to what uh Game of Thrones would be like if there was more ping pong in it. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask a question? Is a rumpus room a standard term? I had never heard that before, and Andrew used it repeatedly. I mean, obviously, I know the concept. I think we might call it more of a rec room here. Yeah. But a rumpus room was very I've definitely heard the term rumpus room before, and I have to say it's much more preferable than uh, man cave for sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you are correct about that for sure. So, I feel like a rumpus room is what a good rec room aspires to be. Because I think, yeah, rumpus room is much more like the full out, quote unquote, man cave pool table bar set up maybe some green walls a lot of wood sort of like your very own little irish pub situation 
That's my dream. I don't rumpus know because room. when when I think of rumpus room, I think either of where the wild things are and let the wild rumpus begin. Or it sounds like a sex thing, <laughs> frankly, to me. It, do, it does have the thing? slightest sense of, of something sexual. It, it really does. Uh, well, that's because rump is in it. I understand. <laughs> but I guess I'm mainly basing this on The Simpsons because Flanders has an amazing rumpus room. Ah, uh, yes. That's a great one. <laughs> I bet he does. <laughs> Top story. There's a new startup from Silicon Valley called Bodega, which are basically – uh, glorified vending machines and it's really pissed everybody off. Luke starts off by playing a clip from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where uh, Mac is negotiating the price of a pair. Bozo. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and so Bodega is it's a fancy vending machine and, and they in very Silicon Valley bro fashion have said that they're going to put all the real-life bodegas uh, out of uh, business, but everybody's very upset because everybody actually likes bodegas, and so people don't want them to go out of business. And Those dumbasses. What were they thinking by saying that? Yeah, and not to mention it's just a terrible idea anyways because st uh, stocking vending machines takes a lot of work, so most people seem to think there's no mm -hmm. way this idea could possibly ever actually come to fruition uh, the way they've described it. Uh, and both Luke and Andrew seem to agree and think that the market is going to take care of this. And if uh, bodegas uh, continue to provide value, they'll survive. And if not, they'll get replaced. And that's the way the market works. And then we get another classic Luke moment when he makes the argument that bodegas at one point put turnip farmers from northern Manhattan out of business. <laughs> so not a real strong grasp of either uh, history or economics with that particular statement. Um, but why <laughs> let that stop you? <laughs> uh, Luke seemed pretty convinced of his own logic uh, when he made that statement. And he he did make... Uh, an imitation of a turnip farmer, which Andrew thought sounded like a pirate, hence the title of the show, Blackbeard the Turnip Slayer. <laughs> and then Luke talks about the people who love to love bodegas, and he includes himself in that type of person. And then Luke and Andrew talk for a little while about uh, the Avanti market that was at Cairo Radio, which was some kind of small unmanned market and they both spent a significant amount of time thinking about how they would steal from that unmanned market and if they could get away with it so have you seen one of these things before in real life i can't picture exactly what they're t i mean i get the general concept of it but i i've not had any interaction with one of those but i could see how if it's a very corporate thing there would be that temptation to steal from it you know because it's always if you it feels less bad if you're ripping off a giant corporation as opposed to say some corner bodega or something like that right um uh, and if you've seen one no uh-uh but like mike I, I i kind of understand what they're talking about for sure yeah it's it's just um 
It looks like a corner of a gas station. It looks like the kind of corner of the gas station where the sandwiches and stuff are. And, like, so the bigger ones I've seen have some coolers and then some open shelves with chips and snacks and things. And there's, like, 18 cameras trained on you in every direction. And you're supposed to just swipe them over a kiosk and then pay with a company card or something, you know, an ID card that's preloaded. Um, if you steal from it, they're going to know pretty quickly. <laughs> I don't think it's a matter of, like, how much can you steal from this before someone notices. I think it's a matter of they're very good at controlling these things. I mean, Amazon's working on whole grocery stores that run this way. They're going to keep track of it. Yes. Stealing from one of these stores is probably uh, a bad idea because neither uh, – well, maybe Luke, but Andrew definitely doesn't have that sort of uh, mercenary uh, mind of a thief. So I have to f- – Well, unless it comes to drinkable coffee in his workplace. That's true. He admitted to stealing uh, – That irritated uh, me. <laughs> a cup of coffee one time. So he's clearly a master criminal. Uh, yeah. I mean, the expectation that your workplace owes you coffee for free. I mean, lots of people don't get that, Andrew. So take the shitty coffee that they're giving you for free and don't steal the good stuff. Or they don't give us free coffee at the university. I'll tell you that. You know, uh, Keurigs are under 100 bucks now. Bring one in. You know, for, for eons, people have been bringing coffee makers to work. But now you can even bring a single-serve coffee maker to work and buy K-Cups. I mean, that's what we do in our office. There's three of us. And we all just sort of take turns throwing boxes of K-Cups in the basket next to the Keurig. Yeah. It's not rocket science. Coffee is not that hard to acquire. So, <laughs> No. <laughs> uh, on the use of the word bodega, I did just – I. I sent a picture to you guys in the Slack channel. There's a super trendy hipster uh, restaurant. I haven't been in there yet because it just opened a couple of weeks ago, right? Two doors down from my office in Brighton, Massachusetts, which is a neighborhood of Boston. It's it's a neighborhood where a lot of students live, and it's getting gentrified quickly, as a lot of areas in Boston are. And it is called Brighton Bodega in all capital letters with a big sign and another sign coming off the wall, and it looks super extra. I think that's what the kids are saying now. That's <laughs> mm-hmm. Luke and Andrew have taken a saying. Um, and I can tell it's going to be a place where I can get a sandwich with three extra ingredients I didn't want on it and an overpriced beer. Um, and that is my neighborhood bodega now in Brighton. <laughs> Just from looking at the picture, I feel like they're kind of missing the concept of what a bodega right? is. Right? It looks way too sleek and like it's industrial modern. Bougie. Yeah, definitely. Yes. <laughs> and in other news, Luke is excited for the new iPhone 10 because it's going to have Face ID unlock technology and uh, wireless charging. And then we get another classic Luke behavior when he's misdescribing technology. And in this case, he seems to think the new iPhone will allow people to put their own faces on emojis, which is not what the new iPhone is going to do. It's going to create something called emojis, which will track your face as it's moving so you can talk or smile or react and animate then a little computer-generated emoji. So Luke completely misunderstands that. And uh, Andrew says that uh, please to not send him emojis with Luke's face on it, which is completely understandable. Uh, 
Unless you're in our Slack channel where we have Luke and Andrew emoji. <laughs> That's true. We do. I have not seen those yet, but uh, I can't say that I'm really looking forward to those. <laughs> uh, and Anne, you had a throw your phone moment for this segment. Is that right? Oh, yes, indeed. A good one from Tyler who said, throwing my phone left and right during the discussion of whether or not Luke will buy the new iPhone. And then he says, parenthetically, fortunately, unlike Luke and Andrew, I have a case on my phone, so my screen remains uncracked despite all the rage throwing. (laughs) And he says, of course, Luke is going to buy the new iPhone and the new Apple Watch as well. The watch will be put forth as a new way for Luke to disconnect from technology. (laughs) But within a month, the phone will be cracked and he will tire of wearing the watch and it will find its way into whatever drawer his light phone currently <laughs> resides in. Oh, you speak truth, Tyler. Yeah, yeah, I think that's about right. And we still have not gotten a, an update from Luke about the uh, the fate of the light phone, though I think we can all safely assume it's in a drawer somewhere and hasn't been used in a very long time. Um, <laughs> the, the guys also went on a long rant about the Chevy Focus Group commercials, which literally everybody hates, so I don't think there needs to be a lot said about that. And Luke says he is going to upgrade because he hasn't upgraded his phone in a while, and he thinks he deserved it, deserves it, but uh, he's going to not do it, wait in line at the Apple Store or, uh, or you know, anything crazy like that, but buy one in the distant future, which we'll see how long that idea lasts. But right. the distant future of October 2nd or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then we get a dream catcher segment from Andrew. He dreamt that his uh, phone was broken. And when he was awake the next day, he actually thought his phone was broken, but was relieved to find out that it was just a dream. And then he shares a terrifying nightmare he had about a seven-foot bug monster that was floating outside of his window. Uh, Yes, skip the phone talk. (laughs) Let's let's hear some more about this bug monster. That's the interesting part of this. Yes, he described it as like the uh, robot from the uh, NFL uh, commercials. Cletus. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. And then we get a voicemail from English teacher Corinne on the correct pronunciation of the word mischievous. It's mischievous and not mischievous. And after that, we get another dream catcher. This is a voicemail from listener Shannon, and she describes being at a hotel party with Luke and Andrew and a bunch of other people. And Luke and Andrew both had meatball kebabs. And Shannon, in order to ingratiate herself in the party, is going around saying TBL, TBTL drops to everybody. And when she approaches Luke and Andrew with the TBTL drops, they immediately blow her off and excuse themselves to go take their meatball kebabs into the sauna. So I have to say that detail cracked me up, imagining Luke and Andrew holding meat meatball kebabs in a sauna <laughs> is a dazzling detail. Uh I could get behind these meatball kebabs, I have to say. And I could get behind a good sauna, so I think we can make this happen. (laughs) I will say, though, eating in a sauna just seems wrong to me on some very (laughs) fundamental level, so I'm not 
I, I like the idea of each of those separately at a TBTL party, but combining them does seem disturbing, I would say. Uh, <laughs> but that's just me. If you want to take your kebabs into the sauna, I suppose uh, you be you. <laughs> See, you think it sounds well, terrible. Well, I stop you. <laughs> And I'm over here thinking this is like a chocolate peanut butter situation. <laughs> Two great things that go together. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I'm not going to test that theory. <laughs> uh, and then Andrew admits that he generally doesn't like kebabs because the meat and the vegetable uh, don't cook at the same rate. But there is one place that made really good kebabs called Quality Cash Market in Concord, New Hampshire. And he also said they have good kielbasa kebabs there. And Andrew uh, and Luke notes that Andrew used to say kielbasi, but now says kielbasa. And I don't think that Andrew has ever said kielbasi on the show that I could recall, but uh, what I've never heard anybody refer to kielbasa as kielbasi. Have you guys? No, there were a couple of people on the Stens page that chimed in, though, that had similar pronunciations of that, that maybe were from the uh, Ohio region. So maybe huh. it is a thing. Um, not just Ohio region, because I, I, I oh, checked really? with my lovely, very Polish wife earlier today about this. Uh, and in fact, this conversation spurred us to buy some kielbasi <laughs> for this week. <laughs> Um, she grew up calling it kielbasi and then corrected to kielbasa later in life um, because that's the way she learned it from her very Polish mother and very Polish grandmother. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I quizzed her, but I didn't want to I didn't want to um, muddy the water by saying it one way or the other. So I just said to her, hey, um, you know, that thing. That I love when your mom makes cut up in the crock pot with the brown sugar and the ketchup. <laughs> and I got her. And then she said, kielbasa. And I said, is that the way you always say it? Um, yeah, but I think interchangeably kielbasa and kielbasa. And I know some people got into the technical differences possibly between them. But um, kielbasa is, is not completely uncommon to me. So take that for what you will. Well, you learn something new every day. Yeah. <laughs> I also have a note on the quality cash market in Concord, New Hampshire. Um, <laughs> Why does that not surprise me? <laughs> I've never, I've never been there. This isn't like the great sandwich place, but I did see a news article about how they were trying to be saved from bankruptcy or foreclosure. This is an article from just June of this year, uh, July of this year, excuse me. Um, there was some construction at the nearby highway exit that really hurt them. Um, so somebody launched a GoFundMe to get them money to save them. They put a $50,000 goal on it. This was back in July, and it has raised $2,040. Oh, Ouch. dear. By 27 <laughs> people in two months. So my guess is that it struggled for the same reasons the GoFundMe struggled. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the latest is on the quality cash market, but I guess it's not the most charitable cause uh, out there. I bet just a single visit from Andrew could probably uh, get them back into the black fairly quickly. <laughs> <laughs> just weird sodas, as long as uh, 
as many weird sodas as they can stock and some Gatorades and some uh, jerky and some Bud Light. They'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll get in the right direction. <laughs> All right. Let's head into Thursday, number 2468, The Great Stink of 2017. <laughs> Boy, you sure said it. I'm going to do my best here, guys. I really am. Uh Luke has a lot to do before Livewire today. He listed off all the the list of things, and I wondered um, why he was wasting time recording TBTL when he had so many other things to do for Livewire. I mean, you have to prepare when you're going to interview Salman Rushdie, for God's sake. Um, He is very happy that he now has this little mixer input dealie, Bob, so he can play drops from the road like he's wanted to forever and ever. Andrew may not like it, but Luke is pleased as punch about that. And then we go to (laughs) this thing. Andrew went down a rabbit hole, and he's been watching vintage Cleveland TV commercials on YouTube. And he plays us this radio sports cast from the 80s, Breaking the Bernie Kosar story, and um, I know Bernie Kosar is a football player, and that's the extent of my knowledge about him, but I hate him after this. I really do. I, I nominate this for the most boring clip in TBTL history, which there, I know there's some stiff competition, but this was it was like a, a detailed minute-by-minute discussion of the trade that hadn't even happened yet i how can andrew think that this tape is good content how can they think discussing it is good content are they actually trying to drive listeners away now i'm sure there were some people out there who loved it and thought it was charming but i really is nate listening to this does he know what's going on here? Because this was bad stuff. Right? It's not just no, me. That, that was very difficult to to listen to. I... And it went on for <laughs> so, 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 long. so long. <laughs> so that's all I want to say about that. If you really loved that segment, I'm sorry. I, you know. We can still be friends. Uh, I want to uh, mention uh, in the donor section, they were talking about Nigel Herbig, one of the donors, and saying that he was a council member in Kenmore and was at Maris Farms talking to somebody who's the mayor of somewhere. Yes, that was Jennifer. She's the mayor of Muggleteo, and we talked to her first in Austin. So we remember the names of listeners, what they do, and in what cities they do. I would just like to say that. (laughs) And top story today, uh, Sky Jinx Woo. There's a story that came out that there may not actually be enough room on airplanes in the event of a crash for us to brace for impact in a way that might help us not die because the FAA and the airlines are using outdated guideline information. And we have been so crammed into coach by this time that um, 
we might not be able to evacuate the plane in the 90 seconds that it should take. I feel that that's a pretty safe statement to say that we're not going to be able to evacuate in 90 seconds. And you could also be thwacked on the head like a trout being clubbed by Walter (laughs) Burbank. (laughs) And Luke goes into a story about fishing with Walter and how Walter used to brain the fish to kill them and how he was really conflicted by all of this. And Andrew one-ups him with a story about fishing in the backyard pond. And he tried to kill the fish by slamming it on the rock, but he just did it while it was still on the hook. So, like, he whipped the fishing rod. With the fish on it, and the fish just went flying off the rod back into the water. And he feels pretty bad about this, and I say he should feel pretty bad, because somewhere in that pond, there is a giant, vicious, scarred fish who is waiting to kill all the humans because (laughs) of this incident, I'm pretty sure. It's like how you don't flush piranhas down the toilet because they will come back and attack everybody. This fish is out to get us. <laughs> I used to do a lot of fishing as a kid growing up in Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes. And I would do pretty much what Andrew would do is catch little bluegills and eventually release them. But fortunately, I wasn't a good fisherman, so I didn't catch that many fish. But I do remember on the rare occasion where we would keep a fish to eat it, Braining it would be the preferred method of dispatching it quickly, but not by whipping your fishing pole. It's hard to see how that could have possibly gone wrong. (laughs) Yeah, I don't have a fishing story to add here, but um, all I could think when Andrew was telling his story is... uh, He he saw therapists intermittently as a child, right? We've (laughs) talked about that briefly. This has to set off some alarms. Just another layer of childhood trauma to on everything. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, animal cruelty always sends up a red flag. And <laughs> the way he tells it about flinging the rod around and the fish flying off, just, mm-hmm. it was so cringy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm realizing at this moment that I've missed a couple of things that I think are important to feature i missed a throw your phone moment that was so good from carolyn uh regarding the sports cast talk and she says i really love tbtl the boys can talk about almost anything poop sports i don't even follow sports how their cables attach from their computers to their mics to their soundboards but when andrew plays old tape from the radio i really can't stand it and then there's at least a dozen excited marks after that why am I listening to an old sports cast? I don't understand. <laughs> oh, Carolyn, I love you. Will you move in with me? <laughs> Let's live together because I don't understand either. So it's not just me. Uh, and the other thing that I missed, I believe you had something, Bobby, to contribute about the uh, discussion from the donors of the oh, day and wall kill. Is that right. correct? <laughs> right. And this is actually what inspired the fish braining stories, I think, a little bit. Um there was a lot of conversation about Wallkill, New York, uh, and what Wallkill means or how it could possibly be named that. It's a story that actually got bumped to Monday's show, so we're going to break it here first. Um, I didn't look up the <laughs> I didn't look up the exact origin story, but knowing enough about geography and how things are named in New York State, I think I can figure this out anyway. Uh, Wallkill is adjacent to a river called 
Wallkill, the Wallkill River. Uh, a kill is a body of water. It's, it's a common term in New York and Pennsylvania because it's Dutch. Uh, and uh, Dutch settlers named the river uh, Wall, W-A-A-L, after the Wall River from back in the old country. Thus, Wall Kill turns into Wall Kill. That's it. There you go. It's named after a river from another place because it's on a river <laughs> here. <laughs> wall kill. It's not because there's a wall where they kill people. That's true. They don't kill the fish against the wall. <laughs> right. I used to know a person. Uh, I used to know a girl who lived in Fishkill, New York. Hmm. There's probably a river. Probably had fish in it. That would be my guess. Your powers of deduction are dazzling me, Bobby. <laughs> Thank you. Should we talk about the airport some more? Always. Uh, so Luke sassed the TSA when he was going through security. I didn't actually write down what he said at this point because I didn't know it would be that important. But I remember thinking that maybe he should just keep his mouth shut when he's going through security. But they searched his bag because of the new microphone and audio setup that he has packed in there. And when they uh, took it off the x-ray line, the TSA lady hollered, whose bag is this? And he, the only person there at security, said, I'll give you five guesses. <laughs> Again, shut your yap, Luke. Um. Then they searched his bag and he talks about how they were all kind of similar in age to his mom and maybe they were retired or semi-retired and just wanted to get a job or something. And uh, then he compares them to the monkeys from 2001 Space Odyssey, which is unkind, I think. Uh, one of them told him that in January, all electronics that are larger than a cell phone are going to have to be taken out of bags to go through security. And he's upset because, of course, this is going to make his life more difficult, which is pretty much how we knew that this would go. If it causes him any inconvenience, he's going to be upset about it. A note. And he even said this. That person told him that, that he would have to do that in standard lanes. Luke has TSA pre-check. He probably still won't have to do this. I know I'm going to have to do that because I often travel with a portable system when I'm traveling. So that made me upset too. Uh, so I can kind of sympathize with Luke in this one since the TSA has generally been proven to be completely useless. It's always frustrating when they add more random activities for you to do. Yeah, but it's 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 not the person making a dollar over minimum wage to wear the uniform who's making those decisions. Yes. <laughs> and I think that's what Luke forgets sometimes. Like, that person didn't sit in a boardroom somewhere and decide, we're going to make these guys open up their bags for their electronics now. It's because they're worried about bombs in laptop batteries in other parts of the world that they're making people do this now. Yep. And because our... Airline security is completely reactive. Yep. So one guy puts a bomb in his shoe and the rest of us have to take our shoes off until the end of time. And one guy tries to put a bomb in a battery and the rest of us have to take our electronics out all the time. It just seems to me like, yes, there is some reason to be frustrated at this and there could be a better solution. But as you say, not the fault of the um, people who are actually 
doing the work in the security line, Luke. Seriously, though, $80, five years, buy back your dignity, people. I know you shouldn't have to, but if you're you know, going to fly in this world, just get pre-check. You'll be so happy. Uh, then something, something to me, backpack, <laughs> tweet pic of a guy in a suit wearing a backpack. Uh, tweet pic of Rudy listening to the Bach cello suites on the deck. And Luke goes ahead and name drops a few cellists to prove that he knows the names of a few cellists and is cool that way. Uh, then more about this backpack. I could not be less interested, honestly, other than the fact that they talk about backpack trends when they were kids. And when you were in elementary, you wore your backpack over your two shoulders. And then sometime when you went into junior high or high school, it was one shoulder. I remember that. I had no pretensions to being a cool person, but I would not have been caught dead wearing my backpack on both shoulders. I had a lot of back pain <laughs> because I didn't distribute the weight correctly from all my stupid books in my backpack. <laughs> it was very much a thing in my school. I remember that. And then they ponder, I mean, what are the backpack strap standards now? I mean, is it one? Is it two? I don't know. <laughs> then they talk about the Whitechapel Fatberg in London. Um <laughs> I'd like to share some facts about Whitechapel. And they say that uh, the London sewer system was built in the 19th century after the Great Stink of 1858. Uh, in 1888, 30 years later, was when Jack the Ripper was prowling in Whitechapel. And I would rather spend the next 10 minutes talking about Jack the Ripper in detail than talk about <laughs> this fat bird. <laughs> <laughs> So if either of you has anything to say, I'll be over here. All I have to say is that we'll just wait for Chris Hayes to come on and fix this. Senior Fatberg correspondent Chris Hayes. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually Luke apologizes for taking the show to Grosstown. I would like to say apology not accepted. <laughs> I don't forgive you for this. Uh, voicemail for the day. I don't think we ever got the name of this person who says that she always has to pee when she goes to the library, to which I say, yes, absolutely, I do. It's a Pavlovian response. Whenever I am trying to browse, I immediately feel like I need to go to the bathroom. Uh, Andrew talks about this sneaky feeling, he says. When he goes to the library or other places, that um, always leads him to have to go number two. I don't understand how he's characterizing it as sneaky, but, you know, that's his deal. And Luke says he always has to pee when he goes for a jog, even if he has made all the efforts to, to uh, prevent that. He immediately has to pee, and he just doesn't understand why, when he's jogging, he doesn't sweat <laughs> the pee out. Instead of having to pee while he's running. And uh, in the throw your phone moments, Amy says, not how bladders work. <laughs> you forgot the hand claps. <laughs> well, I can't, I can't do those in an audio fashion very well. But uh, uh, Luke's amazement that the, the closed system of the bladder is not allowing the pee to sweat out <laughs> through his skin as he runs is... 
just I don't I don't I don't even know, guys. I don't know anymore. The only thing I have to say about Thursday was at least it wasn't Friday. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna do Friday quickly. Friday twenty four sixty nine. Fireable offenses Friday. I'll say. The episode opens with uh Bernie Kosar intro tape, uh as mentioned on Thursday show. Similar My favorite. Era. Just for Anne. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Luke is home, the Bay City, and clarifies for us in a conversation, in sort of a teaser for the bubble water conversation to come, that pomplamoose means grapefruit. So thanks, Luke, for that. Mm-hmm. Um, did make me think of the Aziz Ansari bit about 50 Cent not knowing that grapefruit soda wasn't going to be grape. Fruit soda, <laughs> <laughs> which is really stupid, and funny, and it makes me really happy. So I'll put the link in the show notes to the Aziz and sorry bit about that. Um, who I love, also because I saw a license plate that was just cakes this week, and I put it on Instagram and said because big old cookies wouldn't fit. <laughs> so we get two Aziz moments for me this week. Uh, Luke introduces uh, Andrew as Shy Ronnie, which leads into an immediate conversation about the Lonely Island bit and songs featuring Rihanna and a rapper named Shy Ronnie. Uh, I was so confused about this. I wasn't aware of it until these guys talked about it. But then after hearing Mm -mm. the song, like I get the joke. I think the joke's probably a lot funnier if you experience it organically and not through them explaining it. Um but uh, he's sort of right. It's not that hard to write a Rihanna song. <laughs> um, or maybe she can just take anything and make it sound amazing. So props to Rihanna uh, for the performance side of that. I think Rihanna's overrated. <laughs> I really do. I think she's a great performer. I think she knows uh, how to present uh, image and style. She has a lot of personal style. But I don't think she's a very good singer. It's the 21st century, you don't have to be. Being a good singer is so low on the list of <laughs> demands of being a good pop star. You know that. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I think she gets a lot of credit for being a good singer. And she she just, she, she, I don't think she has much going. She's number one department. Carry. It's fine. <laughs> uh, Lynn sent the guys or tweeted at the guys a one second clip of crosstalk from Thursday show and asked Andrew to try to explain what he was trying to say in that crosstalk, which led to a running bit in this episode of them adding more and more layers of crosstalk over that crosstalk being the thing that we try very careful to edit out of Little Red Bandwagon. Right. We don't always succeed, but we try. Speaking of overlays, we get a new top story sounder with Andrew's impression of the top story sounder earlier in the week mixed in with the real top story sounder which was pretty funny uh it was a terrible impression but it made for a funny top top story sounder well exactly right i mean it's just it's ridiculous but in a pretty funny way uh we get the Mm -hmm. top story sounder but then we don't get into the top story because we get a quote shove in of more old tape from andrew this time from big chuck and little john a TV special segment recorded in 1981 thanking the Browns for their 11 and 5 season. Why, Bobby? <laughs> Why? Why? It was so long. Why? You know, this one I think is very divisive. I think there are people who really enjoyed it and thought it was goofy and funny. 
which is what I think the original intent of it was. I think it was meant to be both sincere and goofy. And I think part of your hatred of this is probably just from oversaturation of this content. I think I I could have taken 15 seconds of it, but it was like minutes of this thing. (laughs) I think I might have found it funnier had I not still been filled with rage over the long clip that was played on Thursday's show. Like that (laughs) just brought up traumatic memories from the previous episode. So I couldn't enjoy it for whatever camp value it had. And also the sound quality was so terrible on it. It just had that buzz the whole time. I found myself being relieved when Luke was cutting in every 10 seconds because at least it was clear audio. (laughs) Yeah. I I think, that this the problem here is the same problem from Thursday, which is that if Andrew had gone in and just clipped the best parts, let's say there are <laughs> best parts, and then just use those as drops or as little inserts, that would be different. But this was this was exhausting. Uh, and even Luke says this is a whole thing that probably has zero interest to anyone but Drew McFrizz and the Stewbot. And I didn't get a chance to check with Mike or Stu about this, but my guess is that even they probably thought it was rough. <laughs> On to the actual top story from Friday. Uh, Martin Screlly, um has that Wu-Tang album that he bought, but now it might not be legit. The guys kind of said at first that it was fake. It's not fake. It's definitely an album, and it definitely features some mm-hmm. Wu-Tang people on it. The controversy is whether or not producer Silva Rings had any authority to release it as a, an actual Wu-Tang album, because it sounds like he sort of scrapped together bits and pieces from Wu-Tang members from the family. Uh, and released it with the RZA, or the RZA, if you like, um, <laughs> calling it a Wu-Tang album. And it's tough to decide for sure what is and what isn't a Wu-Tang album, but saying it isn't and hearing members of Wu-Tang, more prominent members saying, what the hell is this, certainly hurts its value. Uh, and nobody is heartbroken by the fact that Martin Screlly might have spent a ton of money on something that wasn't worth it. Yeah, sounds like we're all on the same page there. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Next story, Wall Street Journal did a story on LaCroix and asked him what the essence of LaCroix is, because essence is a word used in their marketing and on their cans. And LaCroix wrote back and said, essence is our picture word. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why people hate advertising and marketing people. Yeah. Uh, what's the, um, from Zoolander? Water is the essence of wetness, or wetness is the essence of water. I can't remember. Yeah, the exact, I think that's. I'm, I'm googling <laughs> as I talk right now. It's a phrase so so dumb you can't uh, oh, no. actually uh, remember. Moisture it. is the. Yeah, moisture is the essence of wetness. <laughs> that's the, <laughs> the line. And it's kind of that same that same vibe. Um, I don't think Luke realizes that Lacroix is not quite national. Um, it gets around. We get LaCroix a little bit out here now. We didn't a few years ago, but we're very much a polar seltzer and sparkling Poland Spring world out in the Northeast. I don't know if you guys, being on the West Coast and the Midwest, maybe LaCroix is bigger where you are than it is here. Well, LaCroix is um, very much in the Minnesota, Wisconsin area because, as they mentioned, it's from La Crosse, Wisconsin, which is essentially on the border with Minnesota. So LaCroix has been around here forever. I didn't understand why all of a sudden it got to be such a huge deal. Yeah. You know, I think um, 
unlike flavored sodas where there's a consistent like Coke is Coke is Coke or Diet Coke or whatever, uh, flavored bubble water is just flavored bubble water. It's not like a branded, unique chemical formula flavor. So it probably reaches a point where it's just cheaper and more logical to get whatever your regional brand is than to get LaCroix shipped in from all the way out there to Massachusetts or Rhode Island. So Polar Seltzer is probably made closer to here somewhere, and that's just what we get. But it's the same stuff. Um, Kilbasi got bumped on Monday. Wallkill got bumped on Monday. Music for your weekend. Like Luke brings Over Everything by Courtney Barnett and Kurt File. Andrew brings Not Too Soon by Throwing Muses. And Kara and Austin brings Class Historian by... We're not sure if it's Bracho, Broncho, uh, Broncho, I think. It's all capital letters, and uh, there is an N in there, so Broncho, sure, why not? <laughs> it was fine. Mm. Okay. And housekeeping? Housekeeping! <laughs> <laughs> uh, and housekeeping, uh, please check out our merchandise page. You hopefully know where it is by now, and come and look at the cool things that you can get to support of support us uh also uh, the archive project continues is this right bobby we have 385 weeks completed uh i'm gonna trust whoever wrote that there because i have no I idea i thought it was you because it wasn't me it wasn't me <laughs> which old sheet did you use <laughs> i don't remember <laughs> it sounds right let's go with it but as we've mentioned many times before the problem with this project is that they keep making TBTL, so it never ends. Indeed. So we'll just – I think it's safe to say that we have at least <laughs> 385 weeks completed. <laughs> if you are shopping from Amazon, please think about using our affiliate link, littleredbandwagon.com slash Amazon, and um, hop on over to our sister podcast, Earbuds and Earworms. I – we're taping a little early, so I don't know what this week's show is, but... I can tell you what uh, this week's show is. Oh, please do. The one where Amy feels really awkward. So that sounds like a lot of fun. So it's it's a whole episode of, of songs based on friends, because anytime you hear that naming convention, that's all I can think of. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that's true. Indeed. <laughs> and finally, don't forget to send us your favorite clips from the show throughout the year so that when we get to the year-end special, we've got some content to fill it with. I believe on Facebook we got a note that a new favorite moment was you singing the TBTL intro <laughs> notes. <laughs> so, so far, 100% of the uh, 100 of the uh, uh, favorite moments have still all been from Anne. So thanks, everybody. No, that's not true. I said that one of my favorite moments was when you and Mike had the fight about uh, chocolate garbage milk outside the <laughs> Cairo studios about whether you would or would not drink the garbage milk. All right, fair enough. <laughs> uh, I'll tell us how to get involved. You can get involved by going to littleredbandwagon.com, by going to throwyourphone.com, Facebook, as always. The Twitter is LRB Podcast. Mike, remind us the best way to find you. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at M Farnan. I'm on Facebook, of course. And on Instagram, I'm M underscore Farnan. Excellent. Email us at littleredbandwagon at gmail.com. Voicemails and text messages. 802-432-TBTL. And I agree with Christy. We don't get enough texts. <laughs> Voicemails would be nice, but texts are nice, too. 802-432-8285. Uh, and with that, Anne, why don't you get us out of here? 
Until next time, this is The Next Party. And we love you, Jen. And boy, some weeks we miss you. (laughs) Nailed it. All right, Bozo, thank you.